Bienvenidos, and welcome to the next installment of Lead Media Programming from Studio 54, campus of California State University San Bernardino, the digital media platform for inspired educators, leaders, and community activists and advocates taking our message directly to the people, to the gente. Thank you for sharing our common interests in the analysis, discussion, critique, dissemination, and commitment to the educational issues that impact Latinos. I'm your host, Dr. Enrique Murillo Jr., and this episode is a syndicated replay from season eight of Lead Summit 2017. The theme that year was Sin Fronteras, Educating Beyond Borders, as we work to identify barriers that exist in education and use this metaphor to question and explain how we must transgress beyond them so as to interrupt and examine the interactions and discourses that create separations and alienation among us. This panel was entitled, The Majority Report, Supporting the Educational Success of Latino Students in California, and discussed the Spring 2017 report by the same title, commissioned by the Education Trust West. The Majority Report investigated Latino students' experiences from issues affecting early education gaps through the cause of lower college attainment rates and the barriers faced as they prepared for enter and complete secondary education. In addition to identifying problems, the report highlighted solutions, practices, and policies that had been in effect for Latino students, parents, and educators. Continue and enjoy the full value and complexity of this episode. We extend our appreciation to all our lead sponsors and partners, planners, volunteers, speakers, and panelists, production team, affiliates, and town hall chapters, and commend them all for lifting their voice and uplifting the plight of Latinos in education. Thank you, gracias, Plaza Camate. Next, we have Anthony Chavez, who will offer introductions and moderate the next panel, which was made possible through our working partnership with the Education Trust West, which is the California-based office of the nationally recognized Education Trust, which is based in Washington, D.C. The Education Trust West works for the high academic achievement of all students at all levels, pre-K through college, by exposing opportunity and achievement gaps that separate students of color and low-income students from other youth, identifying and advocating for the strategies that will forever close those gaps. Okay, so we got a member of our Chicano royalty here today, <laughs> raised in the farm worker movement. His grandfather, Cesar Chavez, founded. Anthony grew up participating in United Farm Workers marches, picket lines, and political campaigns. He has spoken around the country about the legacy of the farm worker movement while advocating for service learning and character education initiatives. So Anthony, who is external relations associate at the Education Trust West, all yours. Good morning, everyone. How you doing? Great, great. Well, again, my name is Anthony Chavez, and I represent the Education Trust West. I want to thank the lead organization for providing this space to have this critical discussion about the opportunities and challenges in education that face our Latino students and families. In 1968, thousands of teenagers marched out of schools in Boyle Heights in East Los Angeles. The students protested the unequal conditions California's minority student populations faced. Crowded classrooms, barriers to graduation, 
dated instructional materials, and discriminatory attitudes held by teachers and others. Despite the challenges, their efforts paved the way for future generations of Latino students to gain access to a quality education. Fast forward, nearly 50 years later, Latino students are now the majority in California public schools, yet California still falls flat when it comes to educating Latino students. In this panel, we'll highlight the Education Trust West upcoming report entitled The Majority Report, Supporting the Educational Success of Latino Students in California that will be released in the late spring. And we'll also have a conversation about why the opportunity and achievement gaps persist for our Latino students. We'll discuss some promising practices that address these gaps and reflect on policy recommendations that state and local educational leaders can adopt to improve outcomes for our Latino students. Throughout this presentation, you'll see a website displayed, themajoritireport.org. Please visit our website to connect with us and ensure you get a copy of our report once it's released. And we also encourage you to use your social media throughout our presentation. Our uh, Twitter handles, for those of you who are on Twitter, are at edtrustwest, at campaignopopp, and at puenteproject. And you can also use the hashtags the majority report and lead 2017. Now I want to welcome my colleague Raquel Cimental, who will start us off with a short presentation. Thank you very much. Buenos dias. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know some of you are still trickling in, um, and to all of us, to all of you who are watching um, and streaming us, we welcome you to this morning's panel. I want to make a correction. Um, the Twitter handle for the campaign for college opportunity is college op. at college op, not at campaign op. Our apologies. My name is Raquel Cimental. I serve as the Director of External Relations and Communications for the Education Trust West. Uh, thank you, Dr. Murillo, for talking a little bit about our organization and how we're connected to California. And I'll speak a little to how we're connected to the San Bernardino region as well. This morning, I'll be grounding us in the data and educational outcomes of our Latino students, both K-12 and higher education, so that we can move into a discussion about how to address the needs of our students to ensure their educational success. Just a quick bit of background of who we are. The Education Trust West is a policy research and advocacy organization focused on closing the opportunity and achievement gaps. And we do this through research data, policy analysis, and advocacy, most important, advocacy. In the past three years, we've done research reports focusing on English learners. Most recently, actually, we did um, a report called Unlocking Learning for English Learners and the Next Generation Science Standards. Uh, we've done reports on the STEM teacher pipeline, Common Core, Linked Learning, uh, our recent report as well on the state of black student achievement, Black Minds Matter, um, and a series of reports looking at LCFF implementation. The next one in the series will be released next week titled Steep Road to Resource Equity in California Education, the Local Control Funding Formula after three years. So for those of you very involved in the Local Control Funding Formula um, and engaged at the local level on LCFF, this report is due out next week. And trust me, um, you, will, you will love it. 
In this new era of local control through the enactment of the local control funding formula, we have adopted regional approaches to our work here at EdTrust West in order to improve the outcomes for our most underserved students. To that end, last year, we launched the San Bernardino Community-Based Data and Research Hub in order to focus on convening and building the capacity of San Bernardino education stakeholders, especially our parents, families, and student leaders. And I want to acknowledge our partners who are here, like BPLI um, and, and COPE and other partners in the community, LEAD being uh, one of the, our most closest partners as well um, in moving our work forward here in San Bernardino. So we thank you and we hope to strengthen that partnership and continue our work here in the region. Anthony opened our panel with the story of the 1968 Chicano walkouts in Los Angeles when Chicanos back then were in the minority. How many, how many Chicanos in the audience remember the walkouts? Yeah, orale. How many were there? A ver las manos. Oh, wow, okay. We're gonna have to talk. And how many wish were there? I wish I was there. The Chicano walkouts and other historical um, timelines are important that we understand why our Latino students are facing the challenges. We need to understand the historically discrimination policies that were in our education. I know Sylvia Mendez is here, right? We need to understand not only the Chicano walkouts, but this country's history in school segregation. We need to remember Mendez versus Westminster. Um, because in order to understand and change the policies for Latinos in the future, we have to understand our history. In 2016, however, Latino students make up nearly six out of 10 students. Currently, there are 3.3 million students in our K-12 system. This means 54% of students in our K-12 system are Latino, well over half of the student population in California. Additionally, there are nearly one million Latino students in our public and private colleges and university. Oyenme. By 2060, Latinos will be almost half of the state's population, so we know that the number of Latino students will only continue to grow over time. So how are Latino students faring in our public education system? So first, the good news. We see here on our slide that 195,963 Latino students graduated in high school. And percentage-wise, uh, and this are for graduation rates in 2015, which are the most current rates that we have, um, shows that Latinos boast a 78.6% graduation rate, which is nearly up 2% from the prior year. You'll also see that in 2016, 134,566 Latino students enrolled for the first time in California's community colleges. Another 48,537 Latino students enrolled for the first time at CSUs. And 16,711 Latino students enrolled for the first time at our University of California. And while 
And while we see through the local control funding formula that school districts and communities are working hard to close opportunity and achievement gaps, these gaps persist. So in a state where a sustainable and prosperous future depends so clearly on the success of our Latino students, many of them face systemic, persistent barriers stemming from choices beyond their control and the legacy of institutionalized discrimination. And these barriers, again, are manifested in the wide gaps that lead uh, the wide gaps in achievement and opportunity, not only in K-12, but in higher education with gaps in degree attainment. So the majority report, which will be out in late spring, uh, touches on a few th things. And uh, our research first shows that California Latino students are less likely to feel connected to their school. I know we have students here. Uh, we have lots of students in the room. By show of hands, how many of you, this speaks to you? Yeah, I see, I see some hands that you don't feel connected to your school. If you, and maybe if you haven't been in school a long time like me, think back about how I didn't really feel connected either in my public education experience. Latino students are also most likely, are less likely to be taught by teachers sharing their ethnic and cultural background. And I was recalling about my own, I was reflecting on my own experience when I was preparing for this presentation. Um, and I was, in, in that reflection, for the first time in nearly 40 years, I realized I never had a Latino teacher myself going through the California public school system in Northern California. I sat there, it was Mrs. Johnson, Mrs. Hayes, Mrs. Hauser, Mr. Kuhn, and it wasn't until I got to UC Davis as a first generation college student that I took my first Chicano studies class and I knew what it was to connect with that teacher in front of me. Latino students in California are more likely to attend highly segregated schools than Latino students in other states. And to put this into context, the typical Latino student in California attends a school where over two-thirds of his peers are also Latino and where about 84% are non-white. Latino students are in California are more likely to attend schools that don't offer rigorous college preparatory courses, and we'll talk about why that matters in this panel. The schools into which Latino students are concentrated offer fewer college preparatory courses than the average California school. Consider this, in the schools most highly segregated with Latino students, fewer than two and three English language arts courses are A through G approved, right? And we know A through G is the courses needed in order to be eligible to apply to California's public universities. In comparison, at predominantly white schools, three and four are A through G approved. In higher education, we continue to see huge gaps in degree attainment. We see only 40% of Latino students who graduate from our community colleges, and we defined in community colleges graduation either uh, an AA, a certificate, or eligibility for transferring. 52% from California State Universities and 78% from the University of California. 
The resulting educational outcomes in such a system are troubling, and the most troubling really, I think, is that nearly half of Latino students who enroll at CSUs, and we're at a CSU today, do not graduate from those institutions, compared to two-thirds of white students who do. So in closing, our Latino students deserve better, and we should demand it. Our, our charge for California is clear. We must rapidly accelerate change for our Latino students or risk the very future of our state. While current reforms bring hope, it is clear that California needs transformative change to truly say we support our Latino students. This will, not, this will take not just replicating the bright spots featured in our report, but also finding ways to infuse these practices into the very core of our educational systems. It will take not just making different choices that expand access, but also asking questions and understanding why those choices weren't being made in the first place. Most of all, it will take a refusal to continue being content with merely chipping away at the edges of these disparities. Thank you very much. Thank you, Raquel, and as Raquel mentioned, in order to move into a dialogue about solutions, we really wanted to ground our audience in the data. As we advocate in our communities, it's important that we advocate from an informed place, and that's why sharing the data about the number of Latino students in our schools and their educational outcomes is important. So today, Raquel and I are joined by our partners from the Campaign for College Opportunity and the Puente Project, and I wanna say it's really my, my great honor to uh, be able to moderate this panel. Um, so, to my left, we have uh, Julia Vergara, who's the co-executive director of the Puente Project out of the University of California. And to um, the further left, we have Ms. Linda Vasquez, who's the director of regional affairs for the Campaign for College Opportunity. So thank you all again for being with us for our panel. All right. Raquel. You mentioned that the majority report will include recommendations that state and local educational leaders can adopt and implement to address the needs of Latino students. Can you share a few of those recommendations? Thank you, Anthony. Oh, are we on? Okay. <laughs> well, our goal for the majority report is that it serve as a rallying point for today's student leaders see student, I love my students. Um, educators, teachers in the room, where are nuestros maestros, all right. <laughs> Parents, policymakers, and the, yes, you know what, let's give our educators <laughs> and our students and our parents a round of applause. Um, and we're gonna touch on educators, um, uh, I'll, I'll touch upon that as well because um, building that pipeline is really important, especially of teachers of color, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but I get ahead of myself. Let's talk about why um, EdTrust West wanted to talk about the importance of Latino student success in California. It's not only the right thing to do, and it's the civil issue, it's the civil rights issue of our time, but there's also an economic imperative for California that our Latino students succeed. Let me be clear, if Latino students don't succeed, California cannot succeed, ¿verdad? 
So our recommendations will point uh, to concrete policies and practices that can be adopted or implemented uh, at every level. So for example, at the state level, we need to continue down a path of strong accountability and transparency that clearly communicates to parents and community members and educators how schools are doing and how funds are being spent. We need to focus on policies that increase the teacher pipeline, especially of our teachers of color. We need to support policies that further their professional development, um, implicit bias training, uh, cultural competency training. We also need state policies to remove barriers to access, to remove barriers that, so our Latino students can access higher education. And we need to address issues of remediation that our Latino students face. Quite frankly, it's also time that we seek really bold policies and repeal discriminatory policies like Prop 209 that really serve as gatekeepers and barriers for our Latino students to access higher education in great numbers because we know that if given the opportunity and adequate support, they can succeed. At the county level, I know that there are folks here today who um, are part of local government. There's a role for them to play as well in supporting Latino student success. Um, not only through our county offices of education who review local control accountability plans, that is part of the local control funding formula, um, but they can also support districts in thinking about more equitable practices. And then there are supporting current, creating more and supporting current local initiatives like Alignment San Bernardino that brings together K-12 districts, local governments, and county offices of education, the business community, to address opportunity achievement gaps and prepare our students for college and career. And at the very, very local district and school level, we need to explore a variety of best practices to better engage students, to be more culturally responsive, to hold high expectations of our Latino students because we know that they can reach them, and expand opportunities for college preparatory coursework. Um, many of you know the Puente Project. Um, Julia will talk about it, which is only one example of organizations doing these things. And I wanna say that right now, at this very moment in these unprecedented times, we need to make sure that every school is a sanctuary school for our Latino students, for our undocumented students and families. And that educators and leaders are reaching out to the families of students who are living in fear to let them know que ellos están a su lado. So thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Raquel, thank you. Julia, um, California is already a majority minority state Yet we see these issues of retention and persistence are still very relevant in our K through 12 and higher education systems, especially among our first generation African American and Latino uh, students, especially those who are male. And based on your experience, what are some of the institutional barriers to attaining degrees for Latinos and other represented students? Good morning, buenos dias everybody. I'm really happy to be here. Um, just to, before I go on to the question, I wanna say a little bit about Buente. So Buente's been around for 35 years. 
Our founding college is at Chabot, and our mission is to help students enroll in four-year institutions and come back to the communities as mentors and leaders. And so we have been embedded in community colleges and high schools and now middle schools for the last 35 years. So we're just really happy to be here. Um, but I wanted to talk about the educational gap just not being an educational issue. It's really an issue for all of California. And I wanted to share some stats with you. So beginning, although we have more students enrolled in higher education in K through 12, the attainment rates for college completions are incredibly low and quite frankly, unacceptable. And although Latinos make up a large part of the California workforce, and according to the California Labor and Workforce Development Agency, 41% of Latinos will make up the workforce by 2020. Unfortunately, those occupations will mostly be in low-paying jobs, which require very minimal educational requirements. And a large part of these workers will be in service, uh, service occupations. So, as we move forward and we think about this educational gap, again, it's just not an educational issue. It's really a gap for California. Um, there is a big problem for our community because there'll be a shortage of Latino doctors, of nurses, of engineers, and of teachers. And we're already seeing that. I know personally in my family, I think there's one doctor at Kaiser in the Bay Area, which is in Daly City, and she takes most of my family. Most of my tios and my tias that don't speak English, they go to her. And she's already at capacity. She can't take any more patients. But she is the only doctor at that facility, Spanish-speaking doctor at that facility. So this is already becoming a problem in our community. In addition to that, um, we have to think about the economic and social implications for our Latino community. Because this country, as we know, rewards post-secondary education. And we know that earning power impacts how happy we are or how unhappy we are. And the reality is most of us and our parents and our grandparents came to this country to provide a better life for us. And the reality is that Latinos, a lot of Latinos, are not experiencing um, that American dream that uh, this country sells, right, for a lot of different reasons. So again, the educational attainment gap is not an individual or personal problem. It is not a Latino problem. It is a problem for the state of California that all of us need to pay attention to. So in terms of education, some of the more specific issues we need to address um, is that, again, students are not completing their college education, and more so in K through 12, where the lower achieving schools, where most of our students attend lower achieving schools, the students don't, they have these AP classes and honors that our students, um, they don't offer them at our schools. So how does that translate into four-year institutions? Well, students aren't competitive for the UC system because a lot of those students count on those AP classes and honor classes to, um, to go to the UC institutions. Um, we read a lot of Pedro Noguera, Dr. Noguera at uh, Puente, and one of the things that he talks about is how access and participation in uh, educational opportunities are important and lacking for the Latino and African American community. So when students have the opportunity to participate in AP and honors classes and other special programs like Puente, like Mesa, like AVID, they are able to complete um, complete rigorous and high-level courses, and they are more likely to enroll in post-secondary education, um, and that, therefore complete their degrees. According to Dr. Noguera, when there appears to, appears to be little hope 
of meeting graduating requirements, then school is associated with stress and failure. And that leads to many students dropping out. And I think those are the circumstances facing a lot of our Latino and African-American students. Um, I'm going to briefly talk about this because I think also Linda's going to talk about it, but some of the other issues facing higher ed and K through 12 is the number of remedial classes that students have to go through before they're able to um, go into a college transfer class. Um, the assessment tests are actually outdated and, and in many cases antiquated. Um, cultural relevance I think is also an issue and something we need to pay very close attention to. Um, also, the lack of Latino faculty at four-year institutions in the community college in K through 12. I was at a college um, a few months ago, and I was talking to some members from the English department, and I was shocked to hear that at that college there had not been a Latino hire in 12 years. And this is in Southern California, where 50% of the students there are Latino. So for there not to be a Latino teacher in 12 years, that was pretty shocking to me. Um, and, you know, I do this every day. Um, lastly, and I think the thing that I want us to make more aware of is that now we have close to 900,000 students in the California Community College System. And the California Community College System has made a lot of, um, I think, advances towards working with Latino students primarily and with all underrepresented students. But there is a danger that I see um, across K through 12, four-year institutions and community college of having a one-size-fits-all model for our students. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times I'm approached by administrators asking me, um, how do we make Puente for everyone? And you know, that's a very loaded question. And to be honest with you, after being in Puente for 20 years, I'm not sure that I would want everyone to be in Puente because we are not a monolithic uh, uh, population. Uh, and actually, Latinos like to be placed in a monolithic population, and that's just not what we're about. Some of us have been here before, right? We were here before the borders came. Um, some of us are newcomers, and some of us came for a lot of different reasons, including some of the policies um, U.S. policies that have been in place in our countries, for example, in places like El Salvador. So I think we really need to understand that the popu each population has a, a different historical background and a different reason for being here. So we have to be careful with these one-size-fits-all models. And I'm going to stop there. Thank you very much, Julia. That was a great response. And we'll come back to some of the things that you brought up here in a second. But I want to turn over to Linda. Linda, at the Campaign for College Opportunity, you do a lot of advocacy work to ensure that our students have a spot in college. But getting students to and through completion is often the biggest challenge. Can you talk about some of the work that you see being done in our higher public education institutions to help students earn their degrees? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think we can all agree that our state, California, is gonna prosper when everyone has an equal opportunity to attend and succeed in college. But you can't have a conversation about access without talking about completion, too. Um, because one of the biggest challenges is actually getting students to their end goal, whether it's a certificate, uh, an associate degree, or a bachelor degree. Um, so I'd like to focus on maybe like two things on remediation and on transfer, and specifically at our community colleges, because they are our largest system. They enroll over two million students. You've got your lifelong learners, those who want to, you know, uh, 
uh, takes courses for skills or earn a certificate. But at the very core of the community college system, though, it is intent to transfer student uh, to transfer. Yet only four percent of all community college students do so every year. Um, so that remains one of the biggest challenges. It remains to be like what we call a maze. You, you know, give a student a map with no real directions and you leave them to do it on their own, chances are they're probably not gonna finish it. I mean, it, it, it remains far too elusive for our students. But there is a building block in place to help students transfer to our four-year institutions. How many of you are familiar with the Associate Degree for Transfer Pathway? So this was created about seven years ago with the specific intent of creating a seamless pathway for community college students to our four-year institutions. In fact, it's a partnership between the community college system and our CSU. And it gives students, uh, it guarantees students admission to the CSU with junior standing if they complete a required 60 units that include gen ed, um, their major prereqs, and once they successfully enroll at the CSU, they're not required to take more than 60 units to graduate. And in fact, from the research that we've seen, is that students who transfer with their ADT into the CSU are very successful. Over 92% of ADT earners who enroll at a CSU actually graduate within two years or are still enrolled. And there could be the argument that, well, not everybody needs an associate degree if they're transferring. Yes, but they can benefit from it. We know the economic value of having an associate degree as you're working towards your bachelor degree. I mean, that alone, with job security, uh, potential income earnings, should be uh, uh, you know, plastered, marketed all over when you're talking to students about their pathways. In fact, it ensures the economic vitality of our state. Um, and Raquel mentioned, this were, Latinos, we're too big of a group to fail, but so is California, and as California goes, so goes the nation. So the role that we play here in shaping the future of our state is gonna determine even where our nation goes. So um, what we've learned from the ADT pathway is that it's the preferred pathway for students. Think of what the ADT as a map. It's clear, it's structured, it provides guidance, and they're benefit benefiting from it, but what we want to see with the ADT pathway is that it's actually adopted and mirrored by the UC system as well, because the UC system has UC pathways, but they're not a guarantee. They don't give the students a GPA bump like the ADT does. So what we want is more um, effort to implement this pathway with fidelity from our higher ed leaders. The other issue is on remediation. Um, and in fact, if you, so this is already up there. We've got far too many of our students who are placed into remedial ed courses. In fact, 70% of our community college students are placed into remedial ed course. Think about if you have a college that has five levels below transfer level coursework, math and English, and if your goal is to transfer and you're placed at the very bottom, you're gonna have to take five courses before you're even placed into college level math or English course. The chances of you actually finishing your degree, transferring, or earning your certificate is very small. In fact, two-thirds of those students will never meet their goal. That should alarm us. And if that doesn't alarm you, I mean, I don't know what will. That should unite us to actually do something about it. And the good thing is that there's actually a lot of um, commitment and investment from our state leaders, the legislature and our higher leaders, including our new chancellor, Eloy Oakley, who I know will be here um, speaking later, but there's a lot of potential. I mean, just last year, a couple years ago, there was uh, about $60 million provided in the state budget for what they call, embrace yourself, it's a long name, the Basic Skills and Student Outcomes Transformation Program. It's different than BSI money. Um, but this, 
program was intended specifically to empower colleges to scale up evidence-based practices to significantly improve the delivery of their basic skills courses. So for the first time in quite some time, it's not a blank check to community colleges to do what they've been doing that we know sometimes has not been working. This grant is intended to prove uh, to use practices that have been proven to increase the number of students. And I'm not talking about 10 students, you're, you're moving the needle for 10 students, 20 students here. We're talking about hundreds, thousands, however can fit that stadium, because they all matter. And if we have a degree shortage in California, this is where our bottleneck is. This is, a this is definitely an area that we need to address, and I'm excited that our leaders are addressing this issue. Another shameless plug, and I know we're running short on time, but another promising, um, practice or a promising way that we're seeing the movement in this regard is through legislation. The Campaign for College Opportunity is actually sponsoring a bill, AB 705, that's authored by Assemblymember Jackie Irwin that uh, will provide much more guidance and structure, in fact, and require colleges to use high school um, transcript data to place students into math and English courses. The community, colleges, the community colleges are already required to use multiple measures in placing students uh, to math and English courses, so not solely relying on placement scores, which we know oftentimes are, are um, even vary among our 113 community colleges. And research tells us, PPIC has said it, the Center for Community College Research has data about this, that high school GPA is the strongest predictor of college success. So why aren't more colleges using it to place students into college-level coursework? So this bill will require colleges to use high school GPA as a consideration in placing students into courses, because the ultimate goal is that we want students to get out. We want them to reach their goal of earning a degree. And if our state needs these college-educated workers, these blocks, these um, uh, policies and advocacy work is intended to provide a much more seamless pathway for them to do so. Thank you, Linda, and thank you for noting the time. I'm gonna, I have a couple more questions I really wanna ask this group before we get off the stage, so if we could try to keep our responses to a minute, two minutes. Thank you for, for trying your best. So Julia, coming back to you, Linda talked about uh, evidence-based practices to significantly improve the number of Latino and underrepresented students who complete their college-level coursework. Can you talk about some of these promising practices real briefly? Sure, and you know, there's already a lot of things being done by the community colleges. More and more these last few years, we've seen multiple measures being used. The reduction of the amount of re remediation, taking this equity, the models of equity approach where they're looking for equity rather than equality, which is really important, and continuing to focus on programs that work like Puente, like Anapizi, um, and uh, Mesa and Emoja. And these programs are really important because they also provide their examples of institutional reform and their models of success when working with underrepresented students. But more importantly, they provide students with a platform um, for self-advocacy and to help move uh, the colleges forward in terms of uh, social justice agendas, which are very important, I think, to our students. Um, in terms of you know, some promising practices, I think what's important is when educators are able to see themselves as agents of change. And I think one of the things that um, our Puente counselors and teachers take a lot of pride in is they always say, this is why I became a teacher. This is be why I became a counselor. Because they really wanted to be change agents for these students. Um, and they wanted to have an impact on their lives, not just academically, but also personally. 
Um, I think building on the student's social and cultural capital is the understanding that when students come into your classroom and come to your institutions, they bring something with them. Um, and I think we need to acknowledge that and we need to work with them on how we build that ca uh, capital and how we respect it and how we honor it. Um, in addition to that, I think it's really important to build student-centered lear uh, student learning uh, institutions. Uh, focusing on individual needs of each student, um, not taking, again, that one-size-fits-all model um, is really important for students. F students feel a need to feel connected, and I know that's really hard to do. For example, at institutions like East LA, where they're serving 36,000 students, but I think if we work together and we try to make these institutions about students, so it means when they walk in through the financial aid door, when they walk into the counseling uh, door, they're greeted by someone who cares about them. And those little things really go a long way for students. Um, I think it's important to engage community. Again, this is not an education, uh, just a uh, problem for educators. It is a California problem. So we need to en uh, engage our community more. And they, I think corporations and, and other folks need to help be held accountable um, in how we move, uh, we have more attainment among our underrepresented students. I think it's really important to use data to inform our practices, both inside and outside the classroom. And lastly, my last plug is I think we need to provide more safe spaces. I know that the community college, the UCs, and the CSUs have done a really great job of providing safe spaces for our undocumented students. And I think we need to um, head in that direction also when it comes to our LBGTQ community. Um, Thank you, Julia. Thank you very much. Linda, come back to you one more time. In our report, we talk about the repealing of Prop 209 as a way to ensure greater access for the increasingly diverse young population in California. What's your take on this? So the campaign has been very supportive. In fact, a couple of years ago, we put out a brief on this. Um, we're supportive of modifying Prop 209 so that we could, uh, you know, as one way to address issues of equity and using race to weight candidates as one of the many qualifications for admissions. Um, like I said earlier, we know when California can, you know, prospers when all students have the opportunity to attend and succeed in college. Prior to the repeal of affirmative action, you had the number of um, applicants from Latino and black uh, students to the UC system and CSU, but more the UC system actually start to increase. Once that, you know, Prop 209 was enacted, the number of applicants actually started to increase pretty rapidly, but the number that were enrolled actually went down. Um, and you can see actually on another slide, I'll give you an example of UCLA, that the number of Latino students who were actually offered admissions to um, the most selective campuses like UCLA, UC Berkeley have actually dramatically dropped. Um, in the last 20 years, um, Latino enrollment, uh, Latino admission rates to the UC system has dropped by 26 points, 26 points. So at a time where we desperately need more college educator workers um, and you have more qualified applicants, your you know, um, admission rates or you know, offer letters have actually gone down. Um, and the great, that's just one of our greatest ironies that you know, we passed Prop 209, you've got more qualified applicants but fewer get in. Um, so we know that affirmative action is, is not the only solution, but repealing Prop 209 shouldn't be the, you know, shouldn't allow policymakers and higher, higher leaders to turn a blind eye. There's actually a lot they can do to address gaps in our state. And 
I should have mentioned this earlier, but in your bag, you should have a few like infographics of reports that the campaign has produced, and there's additional data points in there that you can refer to later. Um, but some of the recommendations that we offer, in addition to hopefully one day modifying Prop 209, is that A, we fully fund our public institutions so that they can support enrollment growth. The governor's budget this year actually provided zero dollars for enrollment growth to our CSU and our UC. And that's a real problem because in the last seven years or so, we've got close to 170,000 CSU eligible students who've been denied admissions. I'm talking about eligible students who were denied admissions because of you know, very little enrollment growth. And I know capacity is an issue. So that's why we advocate for fully funding our public institutions. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, streamlining our transfer pathway as most of our students do start at our community colleges. And then the last thing I'll say is that we really address this remedial education issue so that we can get students out of this bottleneck and into um, our four-year institutions, ultimately degree earners. Thank you, Linda. Thank you very much. And before we wrap up here, we wanted to give an opportunity to the Puente students who are with us today to ask a question of uh, the panelists. So feel free to ask your question. We'll see which panelist is going to respond to that. Muy buenos dias. Um, my name is Alexa Victoriano. I am actually a first generation uh, college student. I currently attend Los Angeles Harbor College. Um, I've had the pleasure to know Linda. Um, as a student and as the student trustee for the largest community college district in the nation, which is Los Angeles uh, Community College District, I understand the struggles and the barriers that most of my students face and I face. Um, some of these just very quickly, some of the student uh, issues that I face and the challenges and the barriers, and you were talking about the maze, is that um, I personally face financial anxiety, um, food insecurity, and the lack of transportation. Um, so just in my personal journey, I know that the need of social services and services in general, and if it wasn't for programs like the Puente Project, um, I wouldn't have been finally graduating this spring. Um, it took me five years, but however, I finally made it thanks to the Puente Project because they catered to my needs as a Latina first-generation college student. So what are the kind of policies that we can push for, not only as students, but really as educators and all of us in this room can push for either in the legislature or just push for certain legislation that would help and keep these programs and make sure they're not being diluted and that they are uh, being continued? Great, great question. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you, Alexia. Yeah, do you want to respond? Yeah. The Education Trust West does work in the field of financial aid, we think that's, that is the single most, uh, that's the biggest hurdle for our students. Um, we collect the data around financial aid access, which we think it's important because that information needs to be shared with counselors, with schools to see, are they helping their students get access to Cal grants? Are they submitting, for example, their um, GPA verification in a timely manner so our students can get um, get access to, to Cal Grant and other financial aid. Um, and so we're very proud of that work that we do. Um, and I think you, Alexa, you've touched on an, an issue that we feel is also very important. Um, the legislature is considering a package of, of legislation that will address access to financial aid, um, the, the degrees not debt uh, legislation. But one of the things that in studying and doing our analysis on that is how are we helping our community college students not have to um, worry about their food insecurities? How are we giving them a cost of, how can we give them 
support to, um, so that they can not only, right, their tuition is covered in their books, but their cost of living, which we know is not part with community college. And as uh, Linda mentioned earlier, um, high number of our Latino students are accessing community colleges uh, than CSUs and, and UCs. Great, thank you Raquel and thank you Julia, thank you Linda very much for this great panel. I also wanna thank Cal State San Bernardino for hosting us and the lead organizing committee. Please visit themajorityreport.org because together we need to push for the closure of these opportunity and achievement gaps facing Latino students. And in the spirit of the farm workers movement that was championed by my grandfather Cesar Chavez, let's end with a big unity clap and a CISA puede. Si se puede. Si se puede. All right. Thank you all. Have a great day.